I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm like, well, I can't be the one who screws up John's company. <laughs> like, it's, it's weird. Like, Whiskey warm to waking in. Have some fun while you're here. Do you listen to you? Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Battle Scars. I'm here with my... Uh, Co-host Patrick Callahan. <laughs> were you, what were you going to call me? I don't know. Co-partner. Co- <laughs> no, co-lover. No, no. Co- some other word that we can't use on this. Co-a-hole. <laughs> I think that's more accurate. Yeah. Awesome. And we have a very special guest, uh, Paul Pomeroy, who uh, is a longtime friend of both Patrick and I. Uh, we tried to hire him uh, in the early days of the Archer Group. <laughs> I remember exactly where we were standing. It's, it's a great story, but. Uh, that's why it feels so weird to do this because it's like hanging out with friends, whatever. Yep. And um, I wish we had started taping an hour ago because so many great stories. <laughs> we'll go an extra hour now. Yeah. The, uh, the fun, it looked like it's been set up for a month. Maybe we missed last month. or Yeah. Yeah. We missed last month. So <laughs> I was here. I know. I, you were sitting right here like, when are you guys coming? <laughs> I like, I, I, one, one of the threads said March 28th and I sent a note and I said, I'm here. And <laughs> Patrick's like, no, it's April. But we're here. We're here. And I'm glad we're here. I'm real excited to have Paul here. Paul, you've been a a dear friend to to myself and both of us. And uh, one of the things I remember is when we got involved with your political campaign, I had my family do the door drops and stuff. And it was the first time I had done one. And my kids asked so many questions during the door drops that I went home and I yelled, called my dad and yelled at him. I was like, why didn't you involve me in these sort of things? And I don't know how active he was in politics, but it was a really cool kind of citizenship conversation that, that you brought us in. So uh, I thank you for that. Yeah, yeah, it's nice of you to mention that. And uh, that type of thing, when you're involved in, in that type of uh, project like I was, the, when friends come out and they're willing to do something like that for you, it means something extra special. And yeah. uh both of you, I appreciate so much just the friendship and the fact that just watching your kids be a part of that and just kind of, it was just a, it was a special time for me, but it was special because of how much, uh, how much time I was got to spend with good friends and, and yeah. it was a really great thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we're sitting here, uh, for those who aren't there and, uh, we're all, some of us are over 50, some of us are not. And, uh, no, you can include <laughs> me. I'm also over. 50. Oh, all right. It, it, well, that's the first. You, you don't look at it, or whatever. And that's what the first. When I saw him, but this guy has more energy than anyone I met. We've always said that. Like when you would walk out, I was like, "My God, where is that guy drinking more coffee than I anything?" Think, and I, I think having a five-year-old, you have no choice but to have energy. That's what it is. It just comes down to that. It is amazing. But God, we have so many stories we go through. But first, we got to get to for all those who don't know. Tell us who you are, what you do, and all that kind of thing. Paul Pomeroy, CEO of Aloysius Butler and Clark, advertising agency, lovingly founded and headquartered in Wilmington, Delaware, but also with offices in other locations and great employees kind of spread out all over. And, yeah. uh, and you're it's been the a fun CEO? ride and CEO now, yeah. Fancy. Yeah. And how long has ABC been around? So we are actually, good, good question, because we are celebrating our 50th. Wow. This year, we're in the in the process of putting together some special planning around that. But it's been a it's amazing to think that, the, that it's been around for fifty years. I've been around for twenty three of it, but that's some pretty go- good longevity for any organization. But definitely one who's been able to to uh, ride through a lot of changes in the industry of advertising. So for sure. it's pretty cool. So you do advertising all over the board. So it's from 
billboards to websites yeah. to social to everything. It's been it's been interesting to watch the evolution of the industry too because we've been in it together for a while and and you all were pioneers and and truly I, you know for I, and I've always been in awe and I'm not just saying this because we're friends I've always been admirers of what you've done oh, in the you. industry in leading the industry in ways that I felt like made me personally an A B and C wanting to to watch and emulate what was going on around us. But I remember starting to answer the question, you know, when, when I first got involved, it was what you would very much think stereotypically advertising, the billboard, TV, TV, radio, and that kind of thing. And just, it has evolved so rapidly as you all have been part of it, but even beyond just, it's, it's amazing to see where the industry has gone and how it continues to evolve even, even now more rapidly than, any time in, in, in all of the years that I've been involved in. It's amazing. Yeah, we when we dreamed of, uh, fun size story, when we dreamed of hiring Paul, uh, <laughs> he came to the office and um, we sat down and I like, you said, I don't get this, under, that, what is this website thing? I don't fully get it, whatever. And uh, I was like, I don't care. <laughs> we could be selling refrigerators. You were that good. Uh, but the, the other unique thing, I think, um, which just to reflect back on to give people context of where we went, is at some points we were competitors. But yeah. you would still sometimes even bring us in. And there was never time where we would call you up and say, let's go grab a beer and talk about the industry. That yeah. you would do it. You know, yeah, that was yeah, kind of crazy. Yeah. And that's what's very unique. I talked to someone the other day who says, do you talk to your competitors? I'm like, hell yeah. Like, it's a friendship that's a lifetime. It, it really is. Yeah. And it's a very Delaware thing, too, yeah, when you yeah, think about yeah. it. But I really did feel like, I remember there were times that we would be, in theory, competitors. But I, I to, to go back to what I mentioned earlier, I felt like it was important for me, it was important for the company to watch what people who were sort of at the cutting edge, what they were doing, so that we could take cues from and learn and adapt and be able to kind of continue to evolve. Because it's tricky when, because we were not a specialty agency with one kind of niche, when we we offer the gamut of what would be kind of a, in, in the world of marketing, it was really valuable for us to talk to, work with, network with people like yourself so that it could it could challenge us to look at all right, where are we headed, um, what's happening out there, what are people who are really at the cutting edge and who are thought leaders. And, you know, I always admired the two of you and what you were doing with your company for that. And uh, it kept us on our toes, which is a good thing. I mean, that was a good kind of healthy competition, even though, you know, like I said, we weren't in a lot of things where we competed against right. each other. Right. But it was really cool to to be able to watch and kind of be a part almost from afar of what you all were doing in the industry. Yeah. And I, um, one of the lessons from these things that I always learned and learned from you is like always reach out to your competitors, get to know them personally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that got caught. Sorry, uh, that was my motorcycle. <laughs> uh, go out to beers with them and drink with them. Sometimes they'll say F U U F it. What, what, what did our one competitor say? F U U F and F. <laughs> exactly. So we won't have, just, drink, we won't have beers with him. <laughs> but that be, and that became a lesson in itself because it became friendly competition, not yeah. friend, unfriendly competition. But the friendly competition is how we got Wawa. Yeah. Like that was, All right, we yeah. were on the board with, Digital Delaware with yeah. um, Diamond, and yeah. they had a project that they couldn't do, and they threw it our way because they felt like we were worthy, you know, yeah. people like that we would add value to them by bringing it into the conversation. It was yeah. interesting because you all, I think, I felt like watching from afar, recognizing that you all, when what you were building, 
had Wawa as a client was also a very good motivating factor for for me watching in and seeing the type of brands you were working with and the type of work that you were doing that was valuable to these type of brands. I remember thinking, hey, that's pretty cool. Not only is it cool that, because I was happy for you all, it was cool for a Delaware company being involved in that, which I thought was great, but it was it was good for us in the industry, I felt locally, just to have that kind of connection to yeah. those type of brands. Yeah. You know? we, and that's where the I think the healthy the competition becomes healthy, where sort of that energy kind of lifts all boats type yeah. of thing. You know? I, I definitely think, Delaware being a suburb of Philly, we always felt like we were the redheaded stepchild. Yeah. And I can say that because I'm a redhead. <laughs> um, we always felt like we were, you know, like our work isn't as good as the work in Philly. And you'd go to the Philly ad club and you see those awards and you see these places and you're like, oh shit, I wish we could have that client. And, yeah. and then for us to grab Wawa, you're right. It was like a, it was like a statement to like, a yay Delaware kind of thing. Yeah. You know, Delaware should be doing this. Yeah. And, um, the fact that they didn't view us any differently than any other Philly agency or New York agency, I think gave us, I, I feel like, I feel like sometimes we put ourselves down too much, you know? Yeah, totally agree. I, I know that we had a little bit of the same type of, we, some of that thinking for us a little bit different than you is as we started branching out into other geographies yeah. and, and, and pitching for work outside of the immediate area, having su- success in that, it kind of for us felt there was some validation there. Similarly, yeah. it was validation not only for what ABC was doing, it was validation for an advertising agency in our area yeah. as we were able to kind of expand the footprint and, and uh, make a good name. I didn't feel like even just for ABC, but also kind of for the area and for what we were trying to do in the region. So, And you raked in all kinds of awards and still do. I mean, the work you guys are doing amazing. It's, I, I'll tell you, as, as somebody who, what drew me into the industry was a bunch of different things, but what, what keeps me in the industry is that kind of unbridled creativity of which yeah. I have none. I have none. And that's what I get. I love it every <laughs> that's day. What he says about <laughs> me. Yeah. Yeah. Just being a part of watching people create that type of magic. I'm still in awe of it. I think it's what kept me into it for, for the 23 years is just I'm, I'm mesmerized by it yeah. every day and the people that are able to create work that I feel like captivates the imagination of people. And that's sort of the, the job of what advertising yeah. is to, yeah. to do storytelling and, you know, 30 seconds or 15 seconds, whatever <laughs> yeah. it may be as it gets shorter yeah. and shorter, you know, right. and it's just, it's something that's a pretty special industry to be in for sure. So the cool thing, uh, so I'm, the, I'm excited about this podcast. Um, our theme today is like succession and, um, not the HBO series. <laughs> We're going to get there. We get into that too. <laughs> no, exactly. But um, you took over first spot, and I'm really interested in that. And we actually um, passed on uh, succession to another group. To get there, I, I want to know, like, let's start where the beginning. Yeah. Tell us before A, B, and C. Tell us where you started from. And then, yeah. uh, and then I want to know the exact moment that you went home and you said, I think I'm going to take this over. Or... Or something yeah. on the, or whatever it was. Yeah. The, um, I'll start at the end and then work backwards because right. the interesting thing about A, B, and C, I think part of its magic as well, is there's never that one moment where you're like, you're the person and you're in charge. A, B, and C has always been a very familiar, familial meets collaborative meets group effort. And so in a lot of ways, I think that the time that I'd spent at ABC had always been some version of doing the same thing and the titles may change, but I'd always been sort of involved in some aspect of revenue or growth or, and so in a lot of ways, the natural evolution is more about 
just sort of the time progression, then it really was about that singular moment that hmm. was like, oh, now you're but now when, you're the person. When you walked in the door, though, or when you were there, did you have thoughts someday I want to run this place? No, it's interesting. I will tell you that when I first got there, I was I loved the industry, yeah. advertising. I was I thought it was a fascinating. And you were good industry at it, for the yeah. same reason that I mentioned. I think what I brought to the table, and it's it's funny because. Um, John Hawkins, who is one of the founders and and a mentor and and and, and built the place, was a former salesperson himself, oh, and so he was just always had a natural affinity for people who were involved in sales. My whole career, in some way, shape, or form, although it was called different things, was about selling. My whole yeah, life, that's all. Right. I, that's essentially right. all I did, and I think that he saw in me a person who was like, oh. This person loves to do that. He probably saw yes, it the I, day you stepped and, in. And he yeah. And, and yeah, and I think that that was kind of I I I jokingly, but it's really not a joke, say I was the worst account person in the history of <laughs> ABC. And I used to say that about no, you all the time. No detail, no attention to detail. <laughs> like people like just busted every budget. Like it was terrible, right? Yeah. But I really did have a passion for communicating what A B and C was about to potential clients. And it just became something that back in the back in the early nineties in the advertising agency, the the whole thing was, oh no, you don't you don't market or sell yourself. You just people come to you because you and, and that was such a foreign concept right, to me. Right. I'm like, no, 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 let's just go tell everybody <laughs> right, we're here. Right. And that and that's how we're gonna build. And so I really um, you know, I believed enough in what we were doing to want to go out and essentially be a salesperson. Right now the 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 industry of advertising is littered with business development consultants and, you know, salespeople, this, and here's, you know, we promise you 50 meetings in, but back in the, back in the day when I started, it was completely the opposite. You know, selling was, it was a kind of a, a dirty word in the industry, but I, I kind of leaned into it exactly the yeah. opposite and it became my kind of foray into the industry. Yeah. So there wasn't a, um, a day that you remember that that transition became real to you or that, uh, was was there a signing or was there um, a transition the transition of of um leadership or ownership okay yeah, yeah. so the, when did you realize that you you saw this as a thing that yeah you, that's a great point so so there is a point in which i transitioned from being somebody who kind of had an owner mindset to literally being an owner yeah. and that becomes one of those moments where you know you're about to invest yourself in it in a different level. And that's banks. when you're committed. That's when checks are written in a different way. And then you're like, oh, well, I'm into this in a different level. Yeah. And uh, But I, I do remember that moment where it becomes pretty profound when, and I get what you're, this is really a, a great point, where there, there was that moment when you're like, you know, this has become something where I'm just, I really believe in. To I believe in and I'm investing everything in. And that's a really, it's a special moment. And I do remember that with yeah. that moment of kind of making that transition from being somebody who was, um, who became literally invested in something that you really believe that much in. And it was cool to be a part of yeah. the building and knowing that, hey, I still get to be a part of building it today. So yeah. did the company, was there always a conversation about secession? Was there always a conversation about taking on new partners or was that something new that you had to bring into the conversation? No, one of the great things about John and, and I do, I can do a whole podcast about the great things about John. Is I, the fact can that, too. Yeah. I know he was, he had such a way about him that you just sort of felt like your place was here and to be a part of it and it was going to happen. And it was, so I never really worried about, it. I never thought I, I one of the interesting things about uh, my time at ABC is 
I never asked for a raise. I never asked for a promotion. It just, my evolution just kind of happened based on what I was able to control and the belief that people kind of just, the, the trust that people placed in me. Right. And John right. was sort of, there was never really a talk of that other than the fact that I feel like, I mentioned John is kind of emblematic of what the owner group always was, and and uh, because it's not just John, part of A, B, and C is that there's always been a group of people who have been responsible for its success. But I always felt like if I just kept doing what I was doing and trying to to really bring value to the organization, that there was going to be a, a place for me eventually. And it was it never really had to be talked through. Okay. Now, it's interesting as we've gotten to be a larger organization. We do have to think a little bit more about, okay, how does that look literally on paper and then how does right. it translate to the to kind of the next group of potential owners? But but at the time when as we were kind of growing and evolving, it felt more of a um, it felt more, more organic than it did planned, if that makes sense. Hmm. At least for me as the individual who was kind of it was happening too. It felt wonderfully organic as opposed to sort of being something that was a defined path that somebody said here look at this piece of paper you'll go from this step and then you'll go to this step and this go to this step it's yeah. part of what was interesting about the place and i guess with and this is me as an outsider but it's aloysius butler and clark and hawkins is not in that name so there clearly was a transition at some point well you know it's overall. great what's great about that is the um the this is a great delaware story too the aloysius butler and clark are the middle names of the three founders of the company oh. And they t- they used their middle names in case the company went bust or could get a job <laughs> somewhere else. Oh my god! And fifty years later, it's still a great story to tell. But uh, that's, that's really what ended up happening. Okay. That's how it no kind of came idea. about. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. In Archer Group is there's a Bob Archer that's that was, totally made up. Yeah, and, and that's, that's his own magic. Yeah. And now yeah. I remember thinking that's really that's genius, and that's part of again part of what I love about the industry is what is is that kind of innovative thought that the two of you brought to the industry about careers creating this fictional individual who became your brand and it was yeah. terrific it was well, just same a, thing it was if well we screwed done. up we you know yeah exactly you got, you were insulated from it. Bob Archer's problem well right? we got really drunk one night and then the other thing was that um, Mike Bowman I always say like yeah. Yeah, Bowman Archer on target whatever yeah. but uh, oh, that's great. so t- like real just yeah. in uh, two seconds for someone to like give us a quick history of yeah. you, like where you you started professionally, right? Yeah, Not exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, so I um I actually when I graduated school, I thought that I was going to be. I'm, I'm looking at, at Lee when I mentioned this. I thought I was going to be a restaurant owner, and I was. I loved that industry. I grew up. I was a receiver at a restaurant when I was thirteen. I just don't know how that happened when I was thirteen, but I would get to <laughs> carry the big boxes. I was about. I was like. Four eight and and <laughs> forty five pounds, and these giant boxes of would come sliding out of thing, and I would catch them and I would store them. But I began learning. Oh, Hellman's, they came in four four one pound, and that's okay. how they went. So I knew about every restaurant product, and then I went was a um, I worked all the way through restaurants, all the way through through college. And when I graduated, I went into sales for a company that was called Tartan Foods, and that was eventually bought out by. Cisco and I was in in sales and I did love the industry but until I got to a point where I realized what it went into being a restaurant owner maybe it's it's, maybe it's time to transition so I went back I went moved to uh, Washington DC and I worked um, I worked in a variety as I went to grad school I worked in a variety of jobs that were I was in school for public administration so I really did feel like a lot of my trajectory was going to be in marketing for public organizations or nonprofit organizations. But I always had this niche, I mean, uh, itch about um, 
advertising and I would apply for advertising jobs, but it was interesting back in the nineties, nobody would hire, you would only get hired if you had 20 years experience in, and you were 45. And, and so I remember getting rejected from seven, eight right. advertising jobs. And then, um, when I, when I did move back to Delaware, I was fortunate enough to, to link up with a, B, and C and to start kind of at the junior account Bottom level. level and yeah, yeah. And just begin to, to kind of work my way from there. It's probably the, only, the greatest way to do it too. I mean, especially in the position you're in right now to see the whole thing. To being able to see everything. I think for anybody in any organization, if you want to be successful and, and, and have a, a long-term perspective on, on an organization, it's really beneficial to know every aspect of it. And I yeah. think that whole proverbial start from the bottom and learn yeah. your way up is yeah. really valuable because it does give you that broad perspective of what makes an organization tick. And I felt yeah. that way for me and yeah. I still feel that way today. So you have, you have a legacy company that has established itself very well. And it, for those of you who don't know in Delaware too, there was a period of time where there were like 20 agencies yeah. all working for DuPont. Exactly. That consolidated and A, B and C went through it. It was, yeah, it's really an interesting story. Actually, when I got to, I always tell the story, and it, it's it's the truth. When I got to ABNC, we were the fourth largest agency in Delaware, which, you know, it's Get not out. like you got ad age knocking on your door yeah. for quotes <laughs> when you're the fourth largest <laughs> yeah. agency in Delaware. Yeah. So but for me, that was very motivating to yeah. say, okay. But a lot of those agencies, and I want to just mention it, um, did a lot of DuPont work. And I remember the salesperson in me was always kind of the fish where the people aren't fishing. And, you know, it's like, hey, we... If, if this market is pretty saturated, it's time for us to understand what are the other growth opportunities for us. And we really not, we didn't get into that business too much. And consequently, I think um, for some agencies that were pretty heavily invested in that, we ended up emerging uh, yeah. pretty well on the back end of that, you know. But there are founders who had a vision and they're like, this is the ad agency that's going to separate us from the other 20 and then um, you go in, you work, you work your way up, you get to know that vision and all that kind of stuff. It transitions to you. What's like, how hard is that to either, do you change the vision? Do you adopt it? Do you? It's a really interesting perspective because I've always, I grew up being just like I'm enamored of creative people. I've always found that entrepreneurs like the two of you, are your own form of creative people and, and you you create you create out of nothing. Yeah. And I've always been I've always been enamored of that. And I always knew that I was more the type of person that would take what somebody has created and try to make it better. Like I just kind of knew I was not uh, the creator. I yeah. was the sustainer. And in a lot of ways taking the vision of an entrepreneur and doing what you need to do to sustain it is a is its own type of career path that is in itself inherently entrepreneurial, but it's it's something that's kind of a, a, a parallel path, if you will, where you're somebody has a vision and you have to buy into the vision and yep. you have to know that, look, I, I'm with it. I'm with you and I'm going to do what I can to adapt it, to make it better, to share it, to express it, to build it. And uh, it's something that it's entrepreneurial in its own way, but it's really pretty essential, I think, even for entrepreneurs to have people who are able to kind of have that kind of mentality, that buy-in, that share, and are willing and able to. It's it's really kind of like a, you know, it'll never be Aloysius Butler, Clark, and Pomeroy, and I never went in thinking, hey, that's the end goal or that's important. It was right. more about, hey, there's this company, Aloysius Butler and Clark. 
what's my role in trying to to make it to carry on what the vision of of it is the the incept the, the vision from its inception how do i kind of create it and bring it to the next level kind of thing. can you articulate how that's changed at all i think that what's interesting about any organization that stand that, that's lasted the test of time is at its core there's a value proposition that makes sense for for people who need or want what that value proposition is. So, you know, there's something there that people want to buy. But there's a culture that can um, outlast or survive dynamics that are at play. And it could be a dynamic of um, recession or a COVID mm-hmm. or whatever the case may be. Or losing there's, your creative director. <laughs> right. There's got to be something that, that allows an organization to be bigger than the the dynamics around it. I think it has to do with what's the value proposition, but really what's the culture. And I think for me, a big part of it has been what's the evolution of the the product offering? What's our value proposition? And what's the evolution of our culture? Mm. And that's the kind of thing that if you, if you lose those two, a vision for those two, um, you're nowhere. And in a way, I think for good organizations that, have, that stand the test of time, they start with a good foundation there and it's a responsibility of, of people, um, who come in afterwards to help building, to build upon that. If you will. I think it becomes an asset. I think all of that culture, all of that history becomes an asset that you can build upon. It can also become a negative asset if it's going in the wrong direction. But obviously there was a company built that attracted you and was beneficial to the, to the marketplace. And there were elements of that, that regardless of what the technology is or what the outlet is, that there was something there that this is still offering a value and this is still something people want to buy in. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think the big difference, like I'm never, I I mentioned story, like when, when people talk about the Archer group, they may talk about the Archer group, but they talk about, Oh, that's Lee and Patrick's company. Like it's, it's Lee and Patrick's company. People talk about A, B and C. And they're like, oh, that's John's company. That's yeah. John. So I think in a lot of ways, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night, I'm like, well, I can't be the one who screws up John's company. Like, it's, it's weird. Like, John's long retired, and, and Paul's the one who wakes up in the middle of the night thinking, I don't want to be the one who screwed up John's company. Because that's, kind of, that's kind of the way in which that, that part of the, the legacy of the culture, that part of the legacy yeah. of the offering, that transcends time. You know, and it trans, and it really is. It belongs to the. I really do. I've always felt like it belongs in a lot of ways to the founder. It belongs to the one who had the original vision. And you do need. I think any good organization needs people who can come in, and and find people who can come in and be like, okay, this is not really about me. This is about what's what's been created, and my job is to build upon it and to and to sustain it, help it grow in the vision of how it was created. Now, that doesn't mean that it doesn't get adapted and changed and sure, grow over time, sure. but it, you have to be true to kind of where the original yeah. um, identity of it was. And I'll tell you, personality-wise, two very brief stories. And, and uh, like uh, one is, I remember reaching out to John Hawkins when we were building Archer, and we went to the Whist Club. And of course, he's always jabbing me. Like He was like, oh, so you made second place at the Philadelphia <laughs> Ad Awards, whatever, um, which was like, oh, okay. But then I'd say, like, well, what are you guys doing for insurance and all that kind of stuff? And he would come back and he'd say, Lee just walked out of the room. I don't know. what He's <laughs> <laughs> getting another beer. Um, but, he, but he would give me, like, oh, here's what I'm doing. Do you want to talk to this person? Here's the payroll and stuff like that. So that was one of them. And then you, like, when I 
just a few months ago when I was like, hey, we're building up this, thank you, um, brandywinebuzz.com, whatever, my, my family, uh, another small business, whatever. You had like five of your accounts come on and like, oh, here's what they're building, a kind of stuff. And I was like, holy cow, this is A, B, and C culture. So that's it's such a great... Oh, wait, you're waiting for your bill. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, that really reinforces it wonderfully, I think, the yeah. point that I was making where if, let's just say that you had the one experience with John and then you call up Paul from ABC and Paul's like, hey, uh, <laughs> let me just tell you what our rates are going to be for that and let me send you a bill for it for, yeah. as soon as you pay me that up. Like, that type of disconnect would be a pretty evident example yeah. of, oh, hey, something here is not going the way it's, it's meant to go. It's not perpetuating yeah. the way it's supposed to be. And that and was so, core because it was natural and we didn't know yeah. we'd be talking about it on a podcast. Yeah, but that's true. And it's totally true. Yeah. yeah. So it's fantastic what you've done. Um, yeah. So let's talk about some of the, one of the core things we want to talk about here was secession. So mm -hmm. the technicals of how did you, did you approach them? Did they approach you? Was there a, yeah. a void that was needing to be so filled. what's interesting is i think all organizations find a way to when when you when you have an entity and you create it of which i didn't do but to just say the two of you at some point I, I i i was thinking about this i'm like my guess would be if you are a creator of something you think about i'm gonna this is how i create it and this is how i'm gonna sustain it for a while and this is kind of what i'm gonna do with it when i'm done and my guess is is somebody who people who create think about that through the process So somebody for like me, I only, I primarily think about the middle was, okay, what do I, my whole job was, what do I need to do to sustain this? I think that the, the founder and then the other people who ended up being owners always had, and again, every organization can be different. Think, okay, well, who are the people who share the, the core values and who are the people who understand the evolution of what we need to offer and how does that become part of keeping A, B and C going? So, at A, B, and C, there's never been a formula in terms of, okay, well, we need four people, and it's always 25, 25, 25, and this is, it was never, there was nothing formulaic. Now, every organization has its own kind of approach. I think A, B, and C's approach has always been this. Goal number one, be independent. Goal number two, ensure that we had people within the organization who were interested in keeping it going. Okay. Task number three, identify and then nurture those people along Wait, is that really codified or is that the uh, no this is a thing i think this oh, yeah. is more this was all more the ethos of kind of the a b and c kind of thing and so it was never kind of a written down like this is our secession plan yeah. there there never was one it was just kind of it was in a wonderful way it was kind of organic as i mentioned earlier in that it was that well who are the people that we think we could call in next that we would trust who have an interest in the great thing about, I think, what happened at A, B, and C that I think is maybe valuable to other organizations who are trying to figure out a way to do this is I never felt like I went from being, hey, you're, uh, you're an employee, and now, hey, bring your checkbook because it's time to write. There was a really good transition into being almost spoon-fed what some of the responsibilities were and th this kind of now come on in here, come to these meetings. So you see what we're doing here. And, and then it was more discussion. Are you, you feel like you're ready for, and then it was, so the transition into being a literal owner, as opposed to kind of operating like an owner never felt abrupt. It was, it was something that was more of an evolution that again, it was built almost kind of in it with a familial sort of mindset 
that then built that could that led to this sort of organic um, process of well, these are obviously the next people that we'll bring into the fold. Did they tell you they were like that they were bringing you along to do that, or did they just say, "Hey, sit in on this meeting"? And after I, the fact, I think part of the magic of what John Style was was he would do it in a way that made you feel like you knew it was it would it was maybe something that was coming without having to sit down around a table and be like. Let me give you this piece of paper, and here's okay. the thing. Like you, you, as organizations get larger, it becomes trickier to do this maybe in the same way. And so we could talk about that kind of next. But the time when, for the size organization that we were, I think, and I can only speak for me, I think John and the other owners saw me, and, and they trusted me with information. They would bring me into more, and they'd say, well, this is what it's like when we do this, and here's how it is. And it just became part of an it became part of a a bring you into the trust loop yeah more than it was sort of a if you hit this benchmark you can do this and you can hit this benchmark you can do that there's some magic in when you're in when you're a smaller organization to be able to sort of do it that way i think as we get larger and and we probably have to be a little bit more structured now we think about succession planning in the long run but um but that's the kind of way it was for me is it open is it like when you talk about it like is it Succession, or when you hire someone, are you like? Are you saying if you do everything right, one day you could be an owner? So yeah, it's interesting. That was when I got hired, and when I was at ABNC, kind of in my formative years. Definitely not. It was not a thing that was talked about. Right. Yeah. It was just became. It became. It was more sort of like a, hey, this this person seems to really be be liking what we're doing. They seem to be buying into. For the, or- the size organization we are now, we're over 130 people. I think that there's more of an interest than there ever was before in, hey, what could be next for me? And ABC's never had sort of a formalized vision for that. So the owner group now is starting to think about things more purposefully around that, around that because, you know, it's the larger the organization, the more you really do need to plan. And especially if you want to be an independent organization, you need more people who want to be part of of perpetuating the, the right. organization that right. want to invest in it. And I think that's that's part of it now is it went from being something that was really very unstructured to being something now where I'm like, well, it's time to make it more structured. Does the evolution of the company, do you feel like the brand of Hawkins is always sort of behind you when you're talking to the company? It's so funny because we, we probably have about only maybe 75, I would say 75% of our employees Probably have never met John and have okay. no idea what he is now, which is wild. But we still, I know, he's always there. But we still, like, it's still representative of what we talk and how we talk. So I think that the, the ethos part of it is definitely there. And I think for people who have known John and grew up with John being part of the organization, and again, I use John as sort of almost shorthand for all of the right. owners and founders right. that were, that came along with him. I think they'll hear. Things that'll be like, that sounds like something John would say. Oh, that sounds like something Mike Gallagher would yeah. say. Like, so you know, in a lot of ways, you sort of that becomes it's sort of part of that. So it's it, in some ways for those that twenty five percent, it's very literal, and for the seventy five percent, it's more of sort of a this sort of intangible thing that we try to kind of perpetuate and share. Do you feel like you want to make? Do you want people now to say, you know, this is what Paul said? So. I feel like that's a great question. It's a great question. It, it yeah. really is a great question. I, for somebody who comes into an organization who's not the founder, 
there's a big part of, and, and but who knows that you want to have a significant impact on the organization for the long haul, which I knew I did. You, you leave a degree of ego at the door, I think, because it'll never be the, I, I know, and this is wonderful, I have no problem with the fact it'll never be, oh, that's Paul's agency. It'll be John's agency for as long as the organization exists. Right. Just like in a lot of ways, forever, Archer and its legacy will always be, that's Lee and Patrick's. And they'll just, it'll be Lee and Patrick's. I think that for me, I don't feel like that, leaving that e part of the ego at the door is something that's essential to the growth and success of the organization. Because if it was all about me or you made it all about yourself, then it really detracts from what the things we were talking about earlier. What was the origin? What's the origin story of the, of the value proposition and the um, the culture, that's it's my job to keep that going more than it is worrying about it. How is A, B, and C emblematic of of anything that that is about Paul? If that makes sense, you know? and it was probably part of the relationship as well. That if you came in as a a star, a ball buster, or whatever that you wanted to make your own name, they probably wouldn't have brought you in. There's that no way, yeah. and that kind yeah. of it's it's, it's interesting because I've never really thought about kind of the secession and kind of my evolution there as anything other than, oh, it just kind of happened. Like, right. it just like, I, you know, I don't remember, like I said earlier. Yeah, I remember the day. That's I don't, crazy. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember anything about, like, yeah. how it, there was never that moment. It just sort of was this thing. And I think that if I brought in a different attitude or a different mindset to it, there's no way that I'd be sitting about, sitting here talking about it today. And I think for people who are, who may be listening, who are either entrepreneurs or they're thinking about, um, starting a business or whatever the case may be, or they are business people, people who bring that mindset to the table who are really dedicated to the growth and buy in and have a vision for, okay, my job was always, and I always viewed it as being, how do I come in and take something that's great and make it better? And I think any organization that's looking to grow and kind of to carry on the the vision of original creators have to kind of, you, you leave that you leave all ego at the door and you know, hey, look, there's something here that I believe in that I'm going to build upon at what at the foundation. It's not about me. It's about the foundation and yeah. what I'm doing to help keep it growing. It's really interesting. And what, what I didn't realize before we started this podcast is we'd be sitting on opposite sides of the discussion. Like, um, because my perspective when we did the transition was, I think I'm hopeful that this these people we transition to are able to take this to a place that I'm not capable of doing. You know what I mean? And then, and, and then having a story that we could continue to talk about someday. I don't know what your perspective was. I remember the day. That's what's crazy. Like, I was like, oh, that's why I wanted to ask Paul. Like, do you remember the day? I actually got a picture of it or whatever. <laughs> but for you, and I could see this from, from their perspective, it was a transition. It's it a very, a, yeah. it's in a, in a weird way. And I'm not saying it's like this for every, the, 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 the moment, almost felt anticlimactic because yeah. it was such a long evolutionary responsibility yeah. that yeah. that I felt like I had that put on myself and that others that I kind of already had in the organization to make sure that it was kind of going yeah. and that there was it was kind of evolving I think there's something I think there's something to that in terms of just a vision for how an organization needs to grow you you just sort of need I think for any successful organization you really do need people who buy in separate from either personal identification or personal ego yeah. gratification kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I also think that bringing in new people, new vision, fresh, fresh ideas, fresh, whatever is, is critical. I always felt that 
like there's people that can take it from zero to one, one to 10 and 10 to a hundred. Yeah, and, yeah. and those are different people. And Patrick and I could do the zero to one and one to 10 pretty well, but you know, going uh, to the, we 10, well, to the wanna... 10 to 20 pretty good. Too, <laughs> but you know what? It has to be interesting. So I, you know, we've never gotten into it, but I'm kind of curious. Like, so you obviously, when you're founders, you would, I don't know if anything that I'm, so like there's a real degree of genuine sort of like, from my standpoint, I'm like, I can't, I knew I couldn't do what the two of you did. I didn't have the, I didn't have the thought of, oh, I'm going to go out. I'm going to start this. And it's a really unique skill set. And there's something pretty special. And I keep using the word magical because I do think it is. That when when you're like, I'm going to create something from nothing. Yeah. 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 It's that zero, zero to, one. to one is huge. Yeah. So when you, for somebody who can create the zero to one, you can't, I don't think somebody like me can come in and be like, hey, you put zero to one. And let me tell you how zero to one should have gone. Right. right? It's kind of like, <laughs> right. well, let me tell you how <laughs> I can maybe help too. you from one on. <laughs> yeah. But what was it like you know, for you all? It has to be when you get from zero to one, how you think about the people that you bring on to get you from one to, you still have the responsibility to get you from one to 10, but there's got to be something that was going on in your minds about the type of people that you could bring in that could take you to one to 10 that really bought into what you were doing as opposed to sort of just um, just thinking, no, zero to one should have been like this, right? I, I mean, I'm, I would think- Yeah, of, I, I think there's, I think, what we're talking about is that there are people who are entrepreneurs and then there are people that need to help entrepreneurs and they need to buy, they want to be a part of that vision. But a lot of the people we hired initially and they were big hires because that was money that was coming right out of our pockets. Sure. You know? yeah. yeah. Our houses were on the line, the whole thing. And, and so our sphincters tighten, but then, <laughs> but we bring these people in that they want to, they want to buy into that vision. They want to, and they want to help. They want to join a team and take it further. Yeah. And so you, you become almost sort of a. It's all about the vision. Yeah, yeah. You it's become like all the about coach. The vision. Yeah, yeah, getting them to buy in on that and say, "Look, we're going to pitch, we're going to pitch Poopy Bed, and it's going to be a, it's not going to be a big project, but we're going to do it. We're going to do it well. Yeah, that's right. And that's going to get us to the next one. And we always said we used to kiss a lot of frogs until we found the prince. And, that's right. And that was Wawa. And, yeah. You know, and I and, think also uh, there's another piece of this of the partners. Remember that um, you and I really made. And this was your leadership, but the um, the banks were, they were a friend. They're calling us on Sunday morning uh, while we're sitting on the front porch. I'll never forget that. And like, you answer that freaking call where it was, afterwards it was like, all right, what's the best deal? And that, that's not that negative by any means. It's, the, it's keep, keeping the company going, so but the partners It's were. interesting. Did you find early on that it was important that you found people who had an owner mindset that were not owners? What I mean by that was... You know, you had the two of you, but did you feel like you needed people who brought in the owner mindset, even no. though they weren't? Or did you were you able to kind of be I, like, hey, listen, we can own that role. We I need think to do I, I always yeah. think of um, Paul Smith. Oh, yeah. Mm. And, and oh, we yeah. all know. Do you know we Paul? All know Paul. Remember, sure, yeah. of course. Yeah. Right, yeah. Great, super guy, like awesome guy. And he came and worked for us. And he... In short order, he was a really good programmer, and he said, you know, I, I can't handle this entrepreneur thing. I I need to go back to the safe world. I got a Phillies game at 5 o'clock. Right, right. right. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, you want the people that will figure it out when it's not laid out for them. Right. But Paul was one of these guys that, awesome programmer, but just did not have the mindset that he said, I, like he realized it, I did not want to be a part of the this recklessness, right. this, this, this craziness. And so I think, I, I don't think you need people that, 
maybe they want to own their own company one day. And we always prided ourselves on the Archer family tree of right. all the companies that sort of sprouted from Archer. Yeah, that's a good metric for us. Yeah. And and that's yeah, that's how we measured our success. But I think that you needed people that understood that things aren't going to be laid out for them, that they're not going to have the 10-step plan on how to do this project. Yeah. They're going to have to figure it out. But I, I don't think they were people that were coming in saying, I'm going to own a piece of this one day. It's yeah. interesting. When I said owner mindset, it's it, you. It's interesting. I mean more people who were able to think entrepreneurially as own, as if they were, but they actually weren't. So yeah. the people who you knew sort of would think like, well, if this was mine, this is what I'm, they would make decisions based on the fact that they were like, I'll give if, you this if project. I was investing yeah. in this, what would it, what, what decisions would I make? As I'm if not going to map out how this is done, but damn it, I need it done by five o'clock. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, I need yeah, to show yeah, it to yeah. a client the next yeah, yeah, day. Yeah, right. So we would yeah. look for the people that like were passionate about their talent, like, Paul would get mad if the remark wasn't in the code or something right. like that. Like that's the person you want, like in there or whatever. Kind of. Thing. I also love the fact that it's such a Delaware thing. You mention his name, I'm like, oh yeah, sure, of course. Right? <laughs> exactly. We all love him. Been like yeah. 15 years, and we all. Hey, contextually, what was yeah. going on when the transition occurred? And I know it's not a day. When, when did it? Like about when did you take yeah. over? I know this is a very unsatisfying answer when I'm like, I don't remember. But you know, but <laughs> so I think what, what it was was I. Um, I had various, for me personally, there were various phases. I was kind of had a, what we called kind of a class B owner, which was like, hey, you're kind of an owner in training. And then you were, and then there was, then I, I had a moment when I was a, uh, I had a bit of an ownership, but it was a much, it was a, kind of at a very low percentage. And then there was a period of time when there were some owners cycled out and then I had to invest more in it. So, so you would have to write a check or would it be part of your bonus? Yeah, it was a little bit of, it was a little bit of both where you sort of knew at the end of the day, it's like what, whenever I guess asked that, that question, I'm like, well, at the end of the day, it was either money that was going in my bank account right. or to the right. company. Right? So it was right. like, yeah. you know, so. But it, just so people know, yeah. you, they didn't just grant you ownership. No. You no. had to, you had to buy actually, your way in. That's really an important yeah. point. Yeah. yeah. It yeah. was not something where it was like, um, oh, hey, congratulations. You're an owner now. There's a real the fiduciary <laughs> yeah. involvement yeah. that yeah. goes with it. I mean, it. that's an important point because people might perceive yeah. that. But yeah. it's not that easy. Not I at do, all. I do think that, I, I do think the whole owner mindset thing is, is, valuable and important because I, I, you know, I think that there are people who think, Oh, I'm, I'm an, if I'm going to become a, a partner and owner, it just, it comes to me. And then it's right. like, there's a, there's a, there's a real, there's a literal investment of money. And then there's the fiduciary responsibility. And then there's all the guarantees that go with it. Oh, yeah. As you all, as you both know, well, <laughs> Still, there's a lot yeah, of, yeah, uh, yeah. there's a lot of stuff on the back end yeah. that, that are, yeah. are guarantees that you have to, to make. So my my evolution of the guarantee has gotten more significant as more people have cycled, and other owners cycled out, and I cycled in at a greater level. So when our, um, our after John, one of our CEOs, amazing guy who had been there for 40 years, Tom McGivney, he was CEO for a while. When he cycled out, I cycled in, a little bit more and that upped the ante for me a little bit more. So it was, um, so I, I really have had four different moments, if you will, of, of time where, it's been this sort of evolutionary responsibility that kind of fell both fiduciary responsibility, but also literal more kind of work responsibility right. part of it too. And it wasn't like a recession was going on or anything like now, that. It's, 
it's it for us it had more to do with there's never been like a let's make sure we have four people at all times in the owner group or it can't be ever any more than two or it was never sort of that but a lot of the the transition points had to do with when one person was leaving and one person was kind of was kind of coming in sort of sort of dynamic it was more like that and again it was it was never um, it wasn't ill-defined, but it was never defined in terms of like a well. The bylaws say that you must have, and then right. we must, right. and that kind of thing. And that yeah. way, it was a it was a little bit more free form for us. But um, I think for smaller organizations, there may be a lot of that out there where there is this sort of two entrepreneurs are looking to bring in the third, and then we have three, but this one now. And so, what do we do? Do we bring in one or two more? And why do we bring in? And what's their purpose for? And I, th- I really felt like a lot of our growth in that way had to do with what were the dynamics and what was the circumstance around who was owning, what was the ownership structure, what was the number of people then. So it was really a lot of kind of situationally figuring out as we were going. Was, that it, sense. was there anything about the chemistry of the owners, the chemistry you were working with? Yeah, so I, I think that... I think what was interesting about how we did, and I think that's valuable maybe from a standpoint of other organizations, is if it had been, an or, and I'm sure the two of you can relate to this too, if we had an ownership group of three salespeople, you know, <laughs> oh, wow. every time you get a dollar and you're like, right. hey, let's spend, let's spend that dollar. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we've always had other individuals who have provided balance that's not not just in terms of what their day jobs were but even how they thought about the business and the um their perspectives on the culture or the growth for us that was a pretty important component to how we making sure the ownership group was rounded out yeah so a lot of companies go through um uh family transition did you didn't have to face that at yeah, all. yeah there wasn't a lot of that there was never a lot of that in terms of in terms of how a b and c evolved and i know it's been a thing it, it's a thing for other organizations sure. it's just never been the part of mm, it's yeah. never been there's never been that to, to grapple with for better and for worse yeah. at our organization it was just never a part of and, and i don't think it was for you all either right obviously no ours yeah. are too young right a friend at um that started a restaurant group here and I asked him about, he had twin daughters and I said, do you imagine your daughters are going to take it over one day? And he said, I'm doing something totally wrong if they are having to take over this business. Yeah. Why is that? What do you mean by well, that? He, I, I don't think he wanted them to work, have to be like, I think he wanted the business to support them, not force them to be a part of it in order to continue it. Mm. But I mentioned that to my kids and my son's like, I'm in. And Jim mentions it and his one of his daughters like, I'm in. And the other ones are like, well, you know, and they're like, well, you're not getting as much money as we are. We're working well, who wouldn't want to be part of the restaurant? Right. Group? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Who wants to be here at 2 a.m. Right, exactly. cleaning toilets? Yeah. Right. So, well, we are, this has been an awesome conversation. I think it can go on forever. Is this over already? Yeah, but I want to close with two conversa- yeah. two, two, uh, two questions um, and then anything else you want to close yeah. with. But, as somebody who's coming into a business that wants to take it over or wants, I mean, wants to be a part of it, do you have any advice for them? I do. And I think that's a great, I, I, I think it's a great question to ask. A lot of people go into organizations that in some way, shape or form are, have something about them that are formative. Again, the culture's formed or 
their core business value is already formed. And if you, if you come into an organization and you know you want to be part of a growth and you want to be part of something for the long haul and you don't identify with those, the, the thinking that you could be like, oh, it's, it's A, but I'm going to completely change it to Z, it's just not going to happen. It's not your place. Good yeah. point. Yep. And I think that, that I think that's something. It doesn't mean that you can't impact change and be a you part of an evolution. A a plus. But you can't you can't you can't change it in terms of thinking that you could take culture or, or if that is your mindset, that's not the right way to approach sort of right. looking at an organization right. for the long haul. That is perhaps and I do think that people need to come into organizations where they really are passionate about what they believe in, what they see. How can I make this better? How can I perpetuate it? But you can't come in thinking it's all about me and I'm going to change it to do, be this okay. and I'm just going to do it. And this is going to be, now it's going to be all about me. Right. That's just my opinion is that it's probably in the long run is not going to be the direction that it's, it's not going to work out in the long run. And the second question is now that you're on the other side, what are you looking for in people that yeah. are potentially like, what are you looking for to say this person could take this over? I, that's, Every day, I have the pleasure of interacting with 135 people who in some way, shape, or form are doing things that buy into what it is that we're trying to create. We were talking a little bit kind of off air about how things changed during COVID. Mm -hmm. And I see without me having to be the one that's prodding it or one of the other owners that I, or, you know, having to be the one... People wanting to take ownership of how can we create the culture? How can we build this? How can we, individuals who are part of the organization wanting to find some way to take what's been defined in what makes this culture special and perpetuate it. And so when you see that happening, when you see people doing that without having to be like, hey, it's your job to do this. Let me sit down and tell you how, when you see that happening sort of organically, you know you're in a good place, but you know that those are the people that are worth keeping an eye on because they're the ones that get it. They're the ones that get, hey, it's not about me. I'm, I'm trying to build upon what's next for this place. And I think that, uh, I think it's a pretty big responsibility to be somebody who comes in, who sees something that Ali and Patrick have built and said, I like that. I believe in what they did. Let me do what I can to make it, take it to the next level. Yeah, keep it so, going for yeah. Any any closing thoughts on your part, Pat? My bladder hurts like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> like, but this has been fascinating. I like, and that's why I didn't want to like stop it because I'm learning so much from this. Whatever, this has been really, really good. I could awesome. ask like ten questions. Yeah, I've done like two more hours of this. <laughs> I appreciate yeah. the invite. I really do. Paul, yeah. any other closing thoughts? Nah, just it's, the fact I, I'm so I've always been, and I said it before, but I mean it genuinely. Outside of the two of you being friends, I think the fact that. I admire what you've done. I'm in awe of what you Thank continue you. to do. I think it's amazing that you do what you do and you still find time to make this kind of thing happen. Yeah. And uh, we did try to hire you, but <laughs> what is the, the um the 25 years ago? Was it 25? Was so, so 2005? Let's just call it. Oh three is when we started. So maybe yeah. like what's that's eighteen years ago? Okay. okay. That we're all sitting in an office just like today. And who who would have predicted? And here I don't we know are, that we got fun. three owners of different companies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's a very Delaware. Paul, thing. you're doing yeah. amazing yeah. work. I really do. Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate you. Really. I'm, so glad I'm you're honored here. that you all thought to, oh, to spend a little time with right me. Right back at I'm you. I was really happy to be here. More hours. Yeah, my bladder. But Patrick's bladder won't hold. Awesome. I'm gonna press the big red button. All right, thanks. See you all.